Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to be today, and uh, we're going to be talking about, again, a heart for the lost. We, we kicked that off last week, talking about the importance, right, and our call to be ambassadors for Christ, representatives for Jesus, God making His appeal through us. And we talked about what it looks like to be an ambassador, and that we're to be ambassadors of salvation, that we're, being, we're to be ambassadors of love, and, and so on. And so today, I want us to look at how Jesus modeled this, how Jesus modeled this. And we just sang about it um, when, we, when we sang Stronger, that first song, that, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's the point. That's why he came. But before we read, I want to give you a little bit of context because we're going to look at uh, a, a conversation that Jesus has with a tax collector. Now, now, the significance of this and what you need to know, we're going to kind of go to school for just a minute because I, I want you to grasp the beauty of this passage today because many of us have heard this. We've seen it on the, the felt boards in Sunday school years and years ago, right? This big sycamore tree, which I always wondered why the tree was so sick, um, the, but this big sycamore tree and this wee little man, right? You guys know where we're going now, Zacchaeus. Do we want to sing this? No, we're not going to sing the song. It's too early to sing the song. Okay, if you're watching online, pause and, and sing the song for us, okay? But the significance of this is that the Romans divided Israel into three tax districts, okay? Three tax districts. Uh, and then they hired a chief tax collector to oversee the collections in each district. And usually, this was based on who would pay the most for that right, to, to, for, the, for, for the taxes. Then the, the, the chief tax collector would hire additional agents to help collect the taxes, okay? So this is nothing new. What we deal with every spring, it's nothing new. And some of you are starting to twitch, like, okay, tax season, my extension's coming. Anyway, okay. But instead of fair and consistent tax rates, the Romans just told the chief tax collector how much money he had to bring to the Roman government, and then he got to keep anything else he could raise on top of that, right? So... Not, not real clear, not real open, right? They just had a, essentially a quota, right, that they had to meet, that they had to bring back, and anything above that that they wanted to keep for themselves, they could make happen, okay? And so it's easy to see why the tax collectors became greedy in this time who used pressure and intimidation to get as much as they possibly could from their fellow Jews. And it's also easy to see why they were the most hated people in that culture, right? Because there was no consistency. Interestingly, in the Gospels, and especially in the Gospel of Luke, tax collectors are shown in a favorable light. Even one of Jesus' 12 apostles was a tax collector. So it's not a big surprise that Luke uses the account of a conversation Jesus had with one of his tax collectors to illustrate an important truth about the Gospel. And so, and so imagine, right, imagine, and, and so some of us are getting, are getting pretty excited because some of you work with spreadsheets, and we're praying for you, okay? We're praying for you, and so some of you are like, yes, you know, we're going to talk about numbers today. We're going to talk about tax collectors. I is one of those, right? And so, and so you're, you're pretty excited, while the rest of us are kind of like, yeah, we don't like this, right? We don't like this. But, but essentially, the people were treated unfairly. Have you ever been treated unfairly? I'll, I'll never forget the first time I got pulled over uh, on, on, the, on the side of a road. I was, I was driving, and, and I was going eight over the speed limit. Now, 
I felt betrayed. And here's why I felt betrayed. Because my brother and my dad, when they were teaching me to drive and talking to me about driving, they told me that the grace period, okay, they, now, now don't think negatively about my dad and my brother for this, okay? All right, just, just th- this is what I was taught, okay? They, they told me that the grace period was 10 miles over, okay? So you can see why I was messed up. I don't know if they were messing with me, right? Or if they were, or if, because <laughs> it felt like my dad's grace period was about 20 miles. Anyway, 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 anyway. Um, but, but so when, when the officer came up and he said, you were, you were speeding. And I was like, there's no way I was speeding. He said, you were going eight over. I said, that's not speeding. <laughs> and he said, uh, actually it is. Um, it's eight over the speed limit. And so we had a conversation. I said, but, but sir, um, this isn't fair. Now, mind you, I'm like 17 years old, right? I'm the youngest, so I'm the favorite, right? Nothing was fair to me, okay? But, 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 uh, but I looked at him and I said, this, sir, this, this isn't fair. And he said, I'm curious what you mean by that. And I said, well, three people passed me going faster, Right? He didn't care. <laughs> Got my first ticket, therefore had to get a second job to pay for said ticket, and, uh, and, and that was that, right? And, and of course, of course, that's the only ticket I ever got. <laughs> Can't lie in church. That's not true. Okay, um, but the point is, right, that there are often times where we feel like things aren't consistent right, where things aren't consistent. You go to a restaurant, you get one meal, it's awesome, it's the best meal you've ever eaten. You go back there a few weeks later, you get the same meal, right? Ever happened to you? Okay, but we wish that things were just more consistent. And here, tax collectors, people had such an issue with tax collectors because there wasn't a consistency in what they were doing. They were making up their own way to take advantage of the people. Okay, and so and so imagine being Zacchaeus, right? Not liked among these people because of that reason, right? And now he is the one that wants to see Jesus. He's the one that wants to get close to Jesus. He's heard about Jesus, right? Now Jesus is coming near, and Zacchaeus is the one that wants to get before Jesus. And you can just imagine he was short in stature, so you can just imagine all of the people that thought this guy doesn't deserve to be anywhere near the presence of Jesus. But look at how hard he fought to get in front of Jesus. Let's look. In Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1, he entered Jericho, Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. You can turn me down. So he climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was, a, he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. You can picture that, can't you? You can picture that, can't you? They all grumbled. He's gone to be, he's gone in to be the guest of a, a man who's a sinner. 
And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, there's a few things I want to point out to you about this passage that just jump out to me. And so we're going to do things a little bit differently this morning, but I just want to talk through this passage. And the first thing that jumps out to me is that he was seeking to see. Look there in verse 3, where, where Jesus was passing through the crowd, and, and, and we see there, and Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. Jesus now is on his final trip to Jerusalem, where he's going to be crucified in just a matter of days. And Jesus has a divine appointment there in Jericho with a chief tax collector named Zacchaeus, whose name ironically means clean and pure or righteous. But as we've already talked about, as a chief tax collector, that hardly described his character before he meets Jesus. Zacchaeus was rich, right? But apparently he realized that there was still something missing in his life. So when he heard that Jesus was passing through the town, we're told that he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now, we have people like this in our life, right? We have people like this, and we, we know about them. We have people uh, in our life, or, or maybe or, or, or in our churches, and, and different things like that, right? People that are seeking to see, people that are searching for truth, right? People that are searching for truth, people that are searching for the real truth. Thing. I was having a conversation with yesterday, somebody yesterday, and, uh, and, and they were talking about church in general. And he said, he said to me, he said, I used to think that, uh, that the music and the show and, you know, the wardrobe and all of that stuff in church is what was going to bring people into church and what was going to save people, what was going to get people to Christ. And he said, and then I grew up, his words, not mine. Then I grew up and I realized that what's really going to save people is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Bible, the truth alone. You can have whatever music you want. You can have whoever you want to at the door. Your pastor can wear whatever he wants, as long as he's clothed, right? You can, you, can do, you can do all of these different things, right? But if you're not preaching the gospel, guess what? People are not going to hear the truth of God's word, therefore are not going to be saved. People are searching. In the same way that Zacchaeus was searching, he was a rich man. He needed nothing else. He had it all. He had all that he needed, and yet he was still searching. He was seeking, right? And isn't that interesting? The, the, it's, it's, it's most of the time the people that have the most that are searching the most, right? Because they're seeking something. They have all of these things, and they're seeking something to fulfill them. People are searching. The second thing we see is that he was short in stature. On account of the crowd, he couldn't see Jesus, even though he was seeking to see, because he was small in stature. Here's the problem, right? Most of us here are probably familiar with the song, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man. See, I, I was going to sing it. You knew it was coming at some point, right? He climbed up. Anybody know the motions? Climbed up in. Okay, very good. That's why I don't sing in church. Or as Luke puts it here, right? We, we sing, we little man, but as Luke puts it here, short in stature. While that 
definitely refers to the fact that he was, how do you say it, vertically challenged, right? I think it also is a reference to the fact that his character fell short of God's standards. See, Zacchaeus, short in stature, didn't just mean, this isn't just a reference, right, to his, to his height. This is also a reference to his standards, right? The fact that he didn't measure up. What's important, what's important for us to recognize what Jesus is talking about here in, in sharing this story, what, what Dr. Luke is talking about here in recording this story, right, is, is that there's humility. That Zacchaeus, right, when, when you get into the crowd, we talk about this with the paralyzed man. That, these, that, that his four friends climbed on the roof, they dug a hole in the roof, and then they, they lowered the man down before Jesus, right? How easy would it have been for those four guys to look at their friend and say, hey, better luck next time, the room's full, we can't get you in there, right? How easy would it have been for Zacchaeus, short in stature, to see the crowd and, and say, oh, I can't see Jesus today. I can't see Jesus today. But recognizing that he couldn't see Jesus, and, and yet having to see Jesus, he climbed up into a tree. He climbed up into a tree. He made something happen that wouldn't have happened otherwise. And, and, and here's the challenge, I think, for us. Are we, willing, are we willing to climb up into a tree to be with Jesus? Because, yeah, I think we have... Uh, and, and I'm not knocking anybody, okay? I, I know we're 8.15, and so I know I'm talking to the choir at 8.15 because nobody wants to be at church at 8.15. You're here because you got to be, right? You're here because you, you, know, you, you're here because you need it, right? You're here because you're committed, you're dedicated. I'm talking to folks right here at 8.15 that would climb up into the tree, right, to be with Jesus because you need to be in the presence of Jesus, right? But, but let's talk about the 10.15 and the 6.15 folks for a minute, <laughs> Okay, let's talk about the 1015 and 615 folks for a minute, right? Right? They're probably folks, I can't do that, right? But we all, we all know folks, right? We all know folks that is, the second things get tough, the second that things get remotely difficult, the second that things, right, become a challenge whatsoever, they turn and they walk away and they go home. Right? They turn, they walk away, and they go home. We've, we've seen this, we've seen this, right? Uh, and, and maybe it doesn't even have to become a challenge. Maybe it's just a, the fact of our comfort level, right? Our comfort level. I can't tell you the number of times over the last few weeks as, as things have been getting back to normal or whatever that looks like, right? The people that have said, Pastor, I got to tell you, I got to confess, right? That's how, that's how weighty it is for them. I've got to confess, it was really nice, to do church on my couch, in my PJs. Hey, listen, if that's what makes you happy and comfortable, you can bring your couch in here. <laughs> you can wear your PJs. We can be like Walmart. Just wear your PJs, right? The moment things get difficult, we like to quit. You see it in every church. The moment a difficult conversation comes up, five to ten people leave. 
the moment that pastor preaches a difficult sermon, five, ten people bless another church, and then that church is all pumped. Yes, we're growing! Right? We see it all the time. And Zacchaeus, being short in stature, climbing up to a tree, ought to be a challenge for each and every one of us, that if we're not seeing Jesus as it currently is, then maybe there's another way that we can see Jesus. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, just maybe, we are responsible for making that happen. Maybe we're responsible for making the investment and the effort to get up in the tree so that we can see Jesus. Zacchaeus didn't know what was to come. Zacchaeus didn't know what to come. What was to come? He just had to see Jesus. Zacchaeus had no idea he was going to dine with Jesus later, that Jesus was going to come to his house, right? All Zacchaeus was trying to do, all he wanted to do at this point was recognize he was short in stature and he needed to see Jesus. Here's my question for us before we move on. What needs to happen so that we can see Jesus? Do we need to climb up into a tree? Do we need to take the blinders off? What needs to happen so that we can see Jesus? And are we willing to go there? Are we willing to go there? Are we willing to get a, a little dirty so that we can see Jesus? Are we willing to, to maybe fall down a couple times before we can see Jesus? I can just picture Zacchaeus climbing up into this tree. Like, can't you imagine all the people that are standing around thinking, this, this guy, who is this guy? Climbing up into a tree to see Jesus. He doesn't deserve to be here. Let's keep reading. Next, we see Jesus show up on the scene. Jesus came to the place. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must. Now, this is a cross-reference to John 4, right? This is the second time we see this in Scripture. Mason, can you throw up verse, can you throw up verse 6 for me? Nope, verse 5 for me. Throw up verse 5. This is the second time we see this, okay? And I want you guys to see it. Uh, he looked up, said, hurry, come down, for I must, for I must stay with you today. I must stay at your house, right? Today. John 4, you remember John 4, the woman at the well, right? Jesus should not have been passing through Samaria, excuse me, in John 4, yet he did, right? He had to travel through Samaria. The scripture says that, John 4, we don't have time to turn there. But he had to go through Samaria. Why? So that he could have this encounter with this woman. Right? And here we see Jesus use the same word that I must be with you. I must be with you. I must stay with you at your house today. Jesus went out of his way. Jesus went out of his way to look at Zacchaeus, told him to hurry and come down because it was necessary for Jesus to stay at his house. What I want you to see here is this is the second time, at least the second time, at least the second time. I searched for other times, couldn't find them, but it's at least the second time, right, that we see Jesus go out of his way and use this language, I must go through Samaria, I must stay at your house, to change the life of just one person. Not the 3,000 that we see in the book of Acts, one person. Jesus was concerned about one person. John 4, it was the woman at the well. 
which, which we know, we have the benefit, right, of knowing how that story ended, that the whole town repented, that the whole town believed, that the whole town was transformed because of that one, that one woman's testimony that when she went to share, right, that when she went to tell, come meet this man that told me everything I ever did and loved me anyway, right? And here we see, and so we, we know that by her testimony, right, a whole town was changed because Jesus had to go through Samaria. Here, right, we see that Jesus is concerned with one. I must stay at your house today because I've got plans for you. I've got plans for you. I must. I don't know about you, but I love that about Jesus. He was concerned. Yeah, he fed the 5,000. Yeah, he preached to hundreds and hundreds of people. But I love the stories where he was concerned about the one. And then he says, I must stay. I must stay. That's the next word that just jumps off the page to me. It's, it's notable. Zacchaeus immediately scampered down the tree, received Jesus joyfully into his home. The reaction of everyone else in the town wasn't quite so joyful. They grumbled that Jesus had gone in to be the guest of a man they considered to be the worst of sinners. Stay. Stay. Jesus knew, Jesus knew that in order to make an impact in Zacchaeus' life, he was going to have to stay with him. Right? Stay. I must stay with you today. Right? I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried down. He received him joyfully. Right? The other people criticized. And then we don't know what happens between verses 7 and 8. Right? When they saw it, they grumbled. And then verse 8, we see Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. But that's where change happened. Change happens in where Jesus stayed with Zacchaeus. Something happens, a conversation happens. They probably had some, some steak and mashed potatoes and sweet tea and cheesecake. They probably had a, quite the meal and conversation where, where Jesus asked Zacchaeus a bunch of questions. Zacchaeus probably asked Jesus a bunch of questions. They had a conversation, right? Just the two of them. Just the two of them. We don't even know how long. We just know it was into the night, right? But we see a change happen. How do we know a change happened? Look at what Zacchaeus calls Jesus. Lord. 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 That's how we know a change has happened. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Not only was, was Zacchaeus addressing Jesus as Lord, but he's also saying, I'm changed, right? I don't want to rip people off anymore. I, I want to be consistent. I'm going to give half of everything that I own to the poor, and if I've mistreated anyone, I'm going to give it back to them fourfold. Fourfold. We're going to talk more about the fourfold in just a minute, but we see Lord, right? Likely Jesus and Zacchaeus had had a long conversation that, 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 that resulted in this change. Where, where 
Zacchaeus calls Jesus Lord. And this account closes with Jesus' proclamation, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, I want to talk to you about three application points. But before we do, I need to make a statement. Okay? It's my official statement. Okay? Can somebody write this down? Just so it's on record. My purpose this morning is not to make anyone in this room, again, I've got some heroes in this room, some spiritual heroes in this room. I, I know most of you in this room, and you are growing in your relationship with Jesus. My purpose this morning is not to in any way make any one of you doubt your salvation. If you're a genuine disciple of Jesus. I recognize this morning as I'm about to preach what I'm about to preach in these three application points, more questions. None of us measure up perfectly when it comes to the gospel. So if you slip up when it comes to one or more of them, it doesn't mean that you're lost. It just means that you're human. But I think it's important for us from time to time as the body of Christ to look inward before we look outward. To make sure that we've not become apathetic. To make sure that we've not become numb. Right? To make sure that we've not become bored. To make sure that we've not lost right that sense of joy of our salvation and i think it's time for us to look inward and make sure that before we develop before we can even talk about a heart for the lost outside of these walls we've got to make sure that we're found we've got to make sure that we're living as found and so the first thing for anyone to do and we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks is I've got to recognize my own lostness, right? If, any, if anyone's going to come to salvation, right, and, and we talked about this in this way, right, that, if, that, if, that, that what's common in each and every one of our testimonies is that we all reach a point in our lives where we recognize we're less than, Jesus is greater than, right, and that I, I am in need of him, right? I'm in need of him. Zacchaeus Zacchaeus is, it represents what, what, what I think many of our culture deals with. He was rich. He was rich. He had everything. He had everything. He was his own God. He set his standards, right? And he was responsible for meeting those standards, and he was doing it. He was doing it. Right? The problem that we have in convincing people about Jesus, persuading others, as Paul talked to the church at Corinth last week, is that, is that people don't need Jesus because they have everything that they could possibly want or need on their own strength, in their own strength. And so when it comes to lostness, the biggest thing is that we've got to recognize our own lostness. We've got to testify about the time, right, where we had everything. We had everything going for us. And then God calls us to do something, and we stopped. And He blessed. And He transformed. And He turned it into something that I could have never turned it into on my own. Verse 10, Jesus tells us that He came to seek and save the lost. That is the nature of God from the very beginning, church. 
I want you to see that's the nature of God from the very beginning. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and hid from God, God came and looked for them. And he hasn't stopped seeking lost sinners since. Our English translators have a hard time fully describing what it means to be lost. And the word Jesus uses here describes a permanent state of being ruined or destroyed. And those are the people that Jesus came into this world to save. I think deep down inside, Zacchaeus somehow sensed that he was lost like that. And because of that, Jesus was able to save him. So being lost, in the sense that Jesus uses the word here, means that I recognize that if Jesus left me to my own devices, I would never seek him or believe in him. It's acknowledging the fact that apart from God's grace, I would justly spend eternity in hell. That apart from God's grace, here's the hard truth that we've got to be reminded of from time to time, that there's a real heaven and that there's a real hell and that real people go to both places. Right? But apart from God's grace, I would justly spend eternity from hell because of who Travis Bush is. Because of who Pastor Travis Bush is. I preach to you Sunday after Sunday as someone in desperate need of God's grace because of my lostness, because of my brokenness. If left to my own devices, without the grace of God and the person and work of Jesus Christ, that he came to seek and, those, seek and save those who were lost, that's me, right? That I would justly spend eternity in hell. Now, that's true for us. And that's true for every person that we come in contact with. Can you sense the urgency? Paul, having heard this, this is why he goes to the church at Corinth and, and he says, listen, listen, church at Corinth, you've got to get your act together. Straighten up. Get out of your own way. There's an urgency here. People are dying and going to hell, and yet you're too focused on yourselves to pay attention to that. You're trying to figure out, you're trying to figure out which church service you're going to go to. You're trying to figure out what's your, what's your taste of the month, right? While other people are dying and going to hell. And you are my ambassadors. I told you this was going to be heavy this morning. This is going to be heavy this morning. Because what breaks my heart is that I look out among us and we're deciding things that we shouldn't even be deciding. Back in the day, you didn't have a choice what church you went to. You went to the one that was closest. Why? You didn't have cars. Right? It wasn't about the music. It wasn't about the preaching. It wasn't about the welcoming. If the church wasn't welcoming where you, were, where you went to and you wanted it to be more welcoming, guess what you did? You made it more welcoming. You didn't go down the road to the church that was more welcoming. Right? You made it more welcoming because you didn't have a choice. There wasn't Methodist and Baptist and Pentecostal holiness and Pentabaptist or Bapticostal, right? You didn't have all that stuff. You didn't have all that stuff. All of those things came from church splits where people got their feelings hurt or where people thought, saw truths different based on their feelings and not truth. And so they went and made their own thing. And all I'm saying is, is that we've got to recognize our own brokenness in this so that we can see the brokenness in other people. 
I've got to recognize my need for Jesus so that I can recognize when I go to Jihad this week or when I'm out there at VBS and I see a bunch of kids that don't come to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, which is why we're doing VBS outside. A lot of you are confused as to why in the world are we doing VBS outside. It's not because we're glutton for punishment. It's that we've got about 15, 20 kids signed up that don't go to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And so we wanted to go take VBS to them as opposed to come have a holy huddle and seeing Jesus loves me and Zacchaeus was a wee little man and all that. Here, we wanted to take VBS out there to, to those guys. We've got to recognize our own lostness, our own need for Jesus. And the prayer is that that gives us the sense of urgency for others. It takes us out of our own way for others. Second thing, Jesus changes lives at the, excuse me, at the point of weakness. Paul tells the church at Corinth, we mentioned it last week, in my weakness he's made strong. Right? Zacchaeus came to recognize that his love for money was a weakness. And he needed Jesus to deal with it, right? So we see here that the reality of our new life in Jesus is almost always demonstrated at the point of the most glaring weakness in, your, in our old life apart from Jesus. Zacchaeus' point of weakness was greed, and so that is the point at which Jesus began to change his life. So here's the question. What was your biggest point of weakness before you made Jesus Lord in your life? What was the biggest point of weakness before you made Jesus the Lord of your life? Pride? Greed? Love of money? Right? That's greed. Right? So here's the follow-up question. Has there been a radical transformation in that area of your life? What was your biggest point of weakness? And has there been a radical transformation in your life in that area? Biggest point of weakness, has there been a radical transformation in your life in that area? For a lot of people, that's not automatic. We want it to be. We'd love it to be, strobe light. We want it to be. We would love it to be, right? But for many of us, that's gradual. For many of us, that, that may not come till. Years after our salvation, where there's a radical transformation, right? See, Zacchaeus knew that he needed to seek Jesus. Zacchaeus had no clue that, about the transformation that was to come. I'm sure when Zacchaeus woke up that morning, he wasn't thinking, man, I've got to give half of everything I own to the poor, and if I've wronged anybody, I'm going to pay it back fourfold. Zacchaeus is about to go broke. And who wakes up in the morning getting ready, drinking their coffee, right? Getting, their, get, get, getting ready for the day and say, today I'm going broke. Yes! <laughs> right? I mean, none of us. Right? But why? Because he was in the presence of Jesus. Because Jesus transformed his life, transformed his values. Right? So that they would line up with him. And then lastly, this is huge for us. Strive for maximum 
obedience, not minimum compliance. See, I think when we strive for minimum compliance, we talk about it a lot, right? The number of Sundays I've got to come so that Jesus is pleased with me, right? The number of areas I've got to serve in so that Jesus, number of mission trips I've got to go on so that I can get into heaven, right? That's the minimum compliance piece, right? That makes Christianity pretty boring. It's pretty, it's, that's pretty boring. Like, I got to tell you, that's lame. Like, if I'm just going to do enough to get by, that's not fun, right? The most fun is when you dive into something, mess and all, and then you get to see how Jesus just blesses the whole thing, right? How he just, how he just transforms the whole thing, right? There's, there's those that do what, what they have to, and then those that do a little extra, right? Those that do what they have to, and those that do a little extra, all right, I don't have t- really time for this, but I've got to talk about it. You see this on the basketball court all the time, okay? I know, I know. I talk about refs a lot. I've got a great relationship with them. I've got a lot of experience, right? But in, but in, but in, but in different sports, you see this, right? You see it in soccer, right? You see it in hockey. You see it in all the sports, right? Referees. There are some refs, right, that do a great job. Every time they blow a whistle, right, hey, that's a travel, and then they tell the girl, you can't take more than two steps, right? Next time, pack your bags, right? right? I'm, I'm, they don't say the last part, but, but I'm just saying, this isn't the NBA. You're not LeBron James, right? You can't take as many steps as you want to, okay? There's, there's, refs, there's refs like that that, that that use their platform, the black and white stripes, to teach the kids, right, and to help the kids. Then there's refs that do the absolute minimum. Y'all know what I'm talking about. They don't even run the whole court. Right? I mean, they kind of stand out there at half court, and they're making a foul call underneath the basket that they couldn't even see. They weren't even looking at that. They were looking at the hot dog stand upstairs. <laughs> they weren't even looking at the game. They are just sure there was a foul there, right? You get the point, right? There's those that do a little extra. There's those that do the absolute minimum. How true is that in the church? How true is that in the church? Well, pastor, it's not about works. I know. But it's the fire. Hear me now. It's the fire and the passion within us that is the motivation to do. And that is my concern. That we have a lot of people that we're doing life with in church that are living without the passion and fire in their belly for the things of God. And therefore, you're bored. You're not being fulfilled. And let me tell you something. That's not on the church. I've had to come to grips with that. That there are some people that just don't, they don't ever want a life of maximum obedience. They just want a life of minimum compliance. And if you're a minimum compliance person, let me just tell you something in the most loving way that I possibly know how to tell it. No church will ever please you. You will be on a cycle where you'll go to a place for six or eight months and then you'll get bored. They don't love me. My favorite. They don't preach the gospel. (laughs) 
Hmm, that's it. What do the kids say? I'm triggered. <laughs> How about you strive for maximum obedience over minimum compliance and just see what God does where you're at? I was having this conversation the other day with a dear friend of mine. And I looked at him and I said, the grass is greener on the side that you water. Right? If you're constantly just looking to the other side, man, and you're, and you're, you're spraying your hose over there, right? That grass is going to be greener every single time. But if you're striving for maximum obedience right where you're at, and you're watering it, and you're watering relationships here and connections here, and you're inviting people here because you're just, you got that fire in your belly and you're so excited about what Jesus is doing, right? Let me tell you something. People don't want to be around a bored Christian. That's just striving for minimum compliance, right? People want to be around people that have a passion for what they believe in, that have a passion for what they're believing. I, there's a guy by the name of Jerry Falwell Sr. You guys remember Jerry Falwell Sr.? He used to come to Maine a lot and sell bricks, right? To probably build the classrooms that Kristen and I went to over and over again, right? Let me tell you something about Jerry Falwell Sr. There's a lot that I disagreed about with Jerry Falwell Sr. There's a lot I disagreed on. But you know what I loved about him? He always knew why he believed what he believed. He didn't just stand on something. He didn't just believe something flippantly. He knew why he believed what he believed. And let me tell you something. I can disagree with someone like that and still get along with them for the sake of the gospel. But someone that just stands on a box and says, I don't believe this because it doesn't make me feel good. You need to go to a different bunker. Minimum compliance versus maximum obedience. Zacchaeus, we're going to close with this. I promise I'm almost done. Zacchaeus offers to pay back anyone. He has wronged four times the amount he had wrongly taken from them. Where did he come up from that amount? I told you we're going to come back to this. In the Jewish law, there were various regulations concerning making restitution. The most common kind of restitution for stolen property was to return the property, get this, return the property back plus 20%. There were other situations in which the offending party was required to pay back double the amount taken, but then in Exodus chapter 22, verse 1, we see by far the most demanding requirement for restitution found. If you rob someone with violence and destruction, a fourfold restitution was required. So Zacchaeus, who would have been familiar with all the provisions of the law, chose the most demanding to apply to himself. Not the easiest, the most demanding. Because, because, and here's the heart of it, Jesus had so radically transformed his life that he wanted maximum obedience, the most demanding. Zacchaeus wasn't looking for the least that he could do in order to get into the kingdom of heaven. He was trying to find the way that he could obey Jesus to the maximum. And it's obviously important to note here that it was not Zacchaeus' obedience that saved him. But rather it was his response to the fact that he had already been saved by his faith. And so here's my question for you. Worship team's coming. We're going to sing a good song. Here's my question for you. Who's the tax collector in your life? Who is the, who is the Zacchaeus in your life? And can, and can we get real this morning? Maybe it's you. 
Maybe it's you. Maybe you're the one this morning that's in your house and you hear, man, Jesus is, Jesus is going. Jesus is coming through the town. I've got to see Jesus. Yeah, I'm short. Yeah, I've got all these things working against me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's going to be critical. There, there's going to be there's there's going to be people that are critical, right? I heard just last Sunday of a pastor down in um, South Carolina that gave an invitation. Two of his deacons came forward to give their life to Jesus. Can you imagine how hard that must have been? The humility that that must have taken for these two church leaders to say, "Hey, I I'm the tax collector." Right? I'm the Zacchaeus here in the story. I've got to recognize my lostness. I've got to recognize my brokenness. I'm not searching for minimum compliance anymore. I want maximum obedience. Right? I want maximum obedience. And as this pastor blogged, yes, I still read those, about his experience last Sunday morning when he saw these two deacons walk the center aisle to come down and give their life, to surrender their life to the Lordship of Jesus. It was so touching. So touching. Don't miss out on the goodness of God just because of who other people think you are. Take that mask off. Who's the tax collector in your life? Maybe it's you. Maybe it's your son, daughter, husband, wife, parent. Who's the tax collector in your life? And would you this morning, would you this morning commit everything you have, like Zacchaeus, to seeking and saving the lost? Before anything else, above all else, above all else, seeking and saving the lost. That's our call. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You know we can't have a conversation this morning without going here. If you sit here today and say, Pastor, I'm the tax collector. I'm the lost one. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Pastor, I'm the tax collector, and today I want to give my life to Jesus. Here's what you do. I'm going to say a prayer. And you repeat it after me. And you repeat it in your heart and mind. The guy that searches hearts and minds will hear you. Just say, Dear Jesus, I'm lost. But today I want to be found. Would you come into my life? Save me. Live in me forever. In Jesus' name. If that's you and you just said that prayer, would you just lift up your hand? Anybody at all? Every head bowed, every head closed. I'm just looking around so that I can know and follow up with you. Anybody at all? Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Okay. I see you. Anybody else? Okay, let me tell you, if that was you, don't leave here without talking to me, Pastor Ian, Lois, Steve Higgins, back at the sound booth. 
Okay, we want to give you some next steps. We want to talk to you. Okay, we just want to talk to you. We want to pray with you and figure out how we can be the church for you. God, I pray for each and every one of us that as we go, that we would strive for maximum obedience, not minimum compliance. God, that that would be the purpose of our lives. Whether we look at spreadsheets, whether we pound nails, whether we parent kids, teach, work in health, whatever, whatever, whatever our daily job is, God, may, may we strive for maximum obedience above all of that to you first. In Jesus' name I pray.